Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you to open them up to the Gospel of John in chapter 9. That is going to be the text that we'll be looking at today as we wrap up the series called Bless, Living the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Over the last five weeks, we've been talking about how you can be a person who blesses others, how God wants to use you, how God has blessed us, and one of the things he's blessed us with is a mission in life. All of you here were created for a purpose, for a reason. It's bigger than just maybe what we think we're created for, of living a good life, of accumulating some wealth, of raising a good family. Those, those are great blessings to live out during your lifetime, but you've been created and made for more. We began five weeks ago talking about what is your mission? Your mission is the Great Commission, to make disciples. Jesus, before he went up to be with the Father, said, go out and preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a mission that all of us as his followers have. When Jesus' disciples asked them, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment that we can live out as his followers is to love God and to love people. So one of the ways that we do that is to bless others. How do we bless others? During these five weeks, we've been going through these blessed practices. And I have a screenshot here of some icons. And we've been going through some real practical ways that you could bless people. Let's just do a quick review. We start by beginning in prayer. Everything begins in prayer. And five weeks ago, uh, I challenged you to write down the names of some people that you've been wanting to pray for. People that you've been wanting just to spend some time with, get to know, build relationship with. Everything begins in prayer. Jesus is the model for this practice and every other of these blessed practices. Jesus often went to be in prayer. Before he started his ministry, he went and he fasted and he prayed for 40 days. So Jesus is the model for this. Then we went to listen. Now, us as Christians, we're known more for speaking than listening, right? But we challenge ourselves to be people who listen. That when you spend time with others, to really listen to their heart, not just their words, not just to listen to know how you're going to respond, but to listen to understand them, to listen to their heart. And through listening to the heart, we hear hopes, we hear hurts, we hear their habits, we hear their life, and we are better able then to talk to them, to build relationship with them. So the L in bless stands for listen. The E, everyone's favorite, right? Eat together. Eat together. Just simply sharing a meal with somebody, sharing a cup of coffee, spending time. We saw Jesus at a dinner party with a bunch of unreputable people, right? And the, those religious people were judging him and criticizing him. And he said, hey, I came for the sick not for those who are well. And Jesus sat and ate with people, and we are called to sit and eat with people too. And last week, the first S stood for serve. And that's what I love about things like New Life Centers, is that people really meeting tangible needs and serving the community. And we see that in Jesus as he washed the disciples' feet, right, at the Last Supper. No one wanted to do the dirty work. Jesus himself says, I will teach you how to be a person who desires to serve others. And he says, I have left you the example. Now go and do unto others as I have done unto you. And, and all of this is built on the idea that, man, you are a blessed person. You're blessed. Ephesians 1.3, we've been starting here. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Who has blessed us? Jesus has blessed us. God the Father has blessed us. With what? With every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realms because we are united 
with him. And this goes back to the book of Genesis in chapter 12, where God pronounces this blessing over the nation of Israel. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you. God promising that he will bless you. And what are we to do with that blessing? It tells us right there, right? So that you then can be a blessing to others. So you are blessed. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing so that then you are able to go out and to bless others. And and the whole big idea, and this is in your note here, we've been repeating this week after week. All of this is built on the idea that we are not meant to pursue our mission solo. Okay, you could fill that in. You are not meant to do life alone, isolated, apart from one another. Uh, That's what excites me about this message series coming up called Life Together, because we'll be speaking about what it means to be people who live life together. So you are not meant to live life pursuing your mission solo. Today, we're going to be talking about sharing your story. We all have the power of communication. We've all been gifted the same tools to communicate. There's language, there's body language, there's the look. How many of you, uh, maybe if you're married here or you have a brother or sister, how many of you know the look? You could communicate through a look, right? I get the look oftentimes on Sunday when I'm talking too much for people after church, I'll look over to Rosa and she'll give me the look. And no words are spoken, no uh, you know, words are said, but I know what the look means. She's communicating with me. She's saying, hey, I'm hungry. It's time to go. <laughs> wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. So we all have the same ways of communicating. And one of the most powerful words that God is giving you is words. We're taught that as children, right? We tell our kids, use your words, right? Use your words. Don't cry. Don't scream. Don't throw a tantrum. Use your words. But it's difficult as we get older sometimes to use our words. I don't know who said this quote, but it's a great quote. This is what it says. It says, preach the word of God at all times. And when necessary, use words. I love that quote because what it's saying is your whole life is a testimony. The way you live, the way you love, the way you interact with others, your life speaks of the work of God in your life. So you are preaching constantly. I don't know if you know that. When you're at work, your attitude, when you show up to work on time or if you show up late, you take extra 15 minutes for lunch. Hey, you're preaching the whole time that you're living. But one of the ways we also share our story is what? Through words. Through words. What am I saying here? This is key point number one. To bless your neighbor, Jesus invites you to share your story with others. Jesus invites you to share your story with others. It's an invitation to let others know what God has done in your life. Above it being an invitation, I would even go further and say it is a calling to share your story with others. Jesus not only invites you, he calls you to share your story with others. I want you to, before we'll get to John 9 in a minute here, but uh, look at Romans chapter 10 as Paul tells the church in Rome. He shares some very good news with them beginning in verse 13. This is also in your notes. Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know about you, but that's great news. Amen. Could we give praise for God for that? That anyone, anyone who calls on his name will be saved, right? That is great news. 
That means you could have lived your whole life far from God. You could have been that thief on the cross who at the very last moments of breath said, Jesus, I believe in you. And that man was saved. Anyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that is great news to be shared with the whole world. But Paul continues and he says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? That's a great point. How are they going to call upon Jesus to save them if they don't believe in him? But he takes it a step further. How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? So how could a people who are lost and living without God ever put faith and trust in him if they don't believe in him? But on top of that, how will they believe in him if they don't even know who he is? He continues and he says, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How is it that Jesus is spread to the nations? Somebody has to tell them. I I would want you to take that someone out of that last sentence there, and I want you to put your name there. And how can they hear about him unless you, Jose, unless you, Juan, unless you, Carlos, unless you, Alyssa, tell them about him. They will never hear unless you tell them. That's a call to action, isn't it? Verse 15, Paul wraps this part of the text up and he says, And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. One of the most greatest compliments you could receive in life and say, Man, brother, you have a great set of feet. And it's not because you get a pedicure, right? Or bathe. It's because those feet carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that anyone who calls upon his name could be saved. That's one of the greatest compliments that you could get, brother or sister, is when you say, man, I got some great feet, because these feet carry a story. Your story matters. Every single person here in this room listening to me, your story matters, because you matter to God. And your story is worth sharing. It's worth sharing. Why? Because there are some people who desperately, desperately, before they even need to hear this sermon, before they need to hear the the greatest worship on YouTube, before they even need to tune into Moody Radio, before they need to hear any of that, you know what they need to hear? Your story. How God has used you and what God has done in your life. Max Lucado has this quote. He says, and we need to share our story. We need to. Not with everyone, but with someone. There is someone who is like you were. Some of you are here, you're a little bit ahead of someone else. They are where you once were. And there's a person out there like that. And he or she needs to know what God can do. Your honest portrayal of your past may be the courage for another's future. That's good encouragement right there. What you're sitting on, what your feet are carrying, may be the very thing that someone needs to hear to turn their whole life around and see God do it for them. But I understand the obstacles, okay? I want to share with you four things that usually hinder people from sharing their story. This is on the bottom, and there's a place for you to write some steps that you could take to overcome these 
obstacles. Because if you're going to be a person who goes and shares their story, uh, at some point you will have to overcome these, these hindrances, these obstacles. I'll, I'll go as far as to call them excuses of, of why some people don't share their story, okay? Here are their uh, kind of four most popular. The first one is this. Uh, people will say, I, I can't share my story because I just don't have what it takes. I just don't have what it takes to share my story. I don't know the Bible that well. I don't know the words. Um, I'm not schooled in this. Isn't sharing God's stories more for like priests and nuns and pastors and people with a, you know, cloth around their neck? Uh, What if somebody asks me questions? What am I going to say? What if they want to start arguing with me? I don't know how to respond to their arguments. Listen, here's the truth. And this is how you overcome this, this obstacle. Okay, Um, good news will always be better than a good argument. Good news will always be more powerful than a good argument. You are not there trying to argue with anybody. You're trying to share what God has done in your life. And people cannot argue with that. You don't need to have biblical knowledge or fancy words to share your story. You have something much more powerful than a good argument. You have a God story. You have a God story. And can I just say this on top? God has a way of empowering you with the words to say. God has a way of leading you in how to communicate your story. This is nothing new. This is something that, that, that Jesus himself prayed over his disciples as he was sending them out to preach the gospel, to share the good news that the Messiah had come. Look at Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. This is Jesus telling his disciples, look, when you're arrested, when you're arrested, don't worry about how you respond or what you say. Look at this next part. Well, this is a good promise. Somebody needs to really put this in their heart today. You've been hesitating. You've been, you've been putting it off because you think that you don't have what it takes to share your story. You need to hear this today and be encouraged by God's promise for you. What God promises you is that he will give you the right words at the right time. Come on. That's a good promise right there. And there's been times I've shared my story with others. I've left that meeting and I'm like, I don't know what the heck just happened, but thank you, Lord. I went in there with no plan, no idea, no kind of script, but God used it because he gave me the right words for the right time. Look at verse 20. For it is not you who will be speaking. It's not you who's going to be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Man, so, so, hey, 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 how do you overcome feeling like you don't have what it takes? It's not you. It's going to be God working through you. So trust him that he will give you the right words to share at the right time. Number two, another popular excuse is some people say, I don't want to push my beliefs on others. I don't want to push my beliefs on others. You know, I don't want to be that, that, that Christian with the sign and the bullhorn saying, repent or you'll go to hell. Uh, and, and please don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. That's not the way you share your story, right? We all have that stereotype of the Turner Burn street corner preachers, and that's not the way you share your story. And I understand how, you, you know, you might feel like you're pushing your, your beliefs on somebody, but again, you're not sharing an argument. You're not trying to convince or convert anybody. You're simply sharing your story. I love how the Asian 
pastor and evangelist D.T. Niles, he he summarizes it like this. He says, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. I love that. The simplicity of saying, look, bro, you're starving, sister, you're starving, things are not right. Listen, I found bread, I found life, and it's over there. Go over there. Christianity at its core, right? You're not pushing your beliefs on somebody. You're leading someone to where the bread of life is found. And it's just one beggar saying, look, I'm broken just like you. I'm hurting just like you. I don't have all the answers just like you, but I found some bread. Here, come walk with me, and I'll show you where together we can eat of this bread. Amen. That's beautiful. So don't buy into the lie of you sharing your story as you shoving your beliefs down someone's throat. Simply not true. Number three, the third kind of most common hindrance or obstacles some people say you know i doubt god could use my story i doubt god could use my story and this is usually for one of two reasons one somebody will say you know i don't have that amazing i was lying dead in the street under an underpass with a heroin needle in my arm and god came and saved me and rescued me you know i don't have that kind of like powerful split the skies the dove coming down i don't have that kind of story my story is actually kind of boring so god won't use my story not true god could use your story just as much as someone who does that have that story And another reason why people don't want to share is they don't think their story could be used is because things were so bad. And people say, you know, people won't won't believe a person like me because I know what I've done. I've known how I've lived. My story was so bad. I don't think God could use this kind of story. Listen, God will use your story because your story matters to God. So don't buy into the fallacy or the lie that God cannot use your story. Ephesians 2.10 says, God planned for us to do good things and to live as he always has wanted us to live. This is why he sent Christ to make us what we are. You are what you are today because God has moved in your life. And all you need to share is that in all of its simplicity. So God can use you. God wants to use your story. You, in another translation of the scripture, says that you are God's masterpiece. Consider that. That means for some person, you are that masterpiece that's missing. You are a part of their story that's missing. And you sharing your story is going to fill that spot that the master has created you for. God has created you to do good things. You're salt. You are light. You are a city on the hill. You are Christ's hands and feet. And God will use your story when you share it. Number four, sharing my story makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm an introvert, Juan. I can't speak like that. I understand how intimidating sharing your story could be. I understand the insecurity that you could be processing. How's this person going to respond? How's this person going to react to my story, to my testimony? I understand that. But whenever we share our story, there needs to be the calculus of the risk versus the reward. Life is always risk-reward. And I want you to consider for a second, I understand the risk of you sharing your story, the response, the reaction that you might receive. There's a risk there. But I want you to consider the reward. Oh, what would the reward look like if you shared your story and you understood that you not only changed this person's life, 
but their children's life, their children's life. What, what, what if God could use your story and reward it in a way where you change someone's eternal destiny? I don't know about you, but when I consider the reward of sharing my story, the uncomfortable feelings that I might process are easier to get over when I consider the great reward that God could give through me simply sharing my story. What it would look like if one day in heaven you see that person that you had a conversation with. And you say, wow, look at what God has done. My feelings of discomfort were nothing compared to this great reward. So, so these four obstacles uh, empower us to share our story in, un, in very uncomfortable places, right? And as we wrap up, I, I want to share with you just from Scripture from John 9. The story of a man who shared his story in a very uncomfortable situation. And I believe from this man's life, from this man's testimony, it gives us the the blueprint of how we can share our story simply. So beginning in John chapter 9 verse 1, the Bible says that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Again, I want you to notice that bless is not a program. Bless those five steps is not, you know, a, a calculation or a formula to live out. It's a way of living. It's a day-to-day thing where you're at your job, you're on your lunch break, you're, you're driving home from, from picking up groceries, you're walking your dog, and, and in your mind is, how can I bless someone? It's a way of living. And you see Jesus is just walking along, doing his thing. But in his mind, Jesus has it to do what? To bless someone. And he sees this man who's blind at birth. And Jesus does something amazing for this man. We're going to jump to verse 6. Verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud with his saliva. And he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now, this is very awkward. Imagine being the blind man. And you've heard Jesus is coming through. Jesus, the healer. Jesus, the powerful one. Jesus, the Messiah. And, and, and as, as he can't see Jesus, and as Jesus approaches, he hears like... That blind man might want to be like, whoa, 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 I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for all this. This is already a very awkward scenario. <laughs> Jesus spits on the ground. He mixes his spit with the dirt. He creates some mud and he puts it over the man's eyes. We don't know what's happening here. It's a reminder that God's ways are way bigger than our ways, right? Verse 7, Jesus tells him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Salome means sent. So the man in obedience, radical obedience, because I don't know about you, but if someone spits and puts something in my eye, I'm not going to, we're going to fight. The man in radical obedience goes, he washes, and he comes back seeing. This miracle that Jesus performs changes this man radically. Remember, that we, this is not the first encounter Jesus has with a blind man. The blind were, were begging people. They were reliant on others for their life. They were considered uh, as you know, misfits and people who were maligned and lived life on the margins. People bypassed them. People ignored them. And now, radically, in a matter of moments, this man's life has been changed. Hey, Jesus has blessed this man. And he comes back seeing. Now, obviously... How many of you know when God does a work in your life, people start to ask questions, right? 
Now, if you grew up in the city and you have a background of life in the streets and you come to the Lord and you go back to the streets, people take notice and they'll say, man, what happened to you? Who you been hanging around with? You don't curse anymore? Hey, you don't want a drink anymore? You don't smoke anymore? We don't see you on the corners anymore? Hey, what happened to you? When God does a work in your life, people will ask questions. And let me tell you, that is a perfect opportunity to share your story. Look at verse number eight. His neighbors, the blind man's neighbors, they knew him as the blind guy. Hey, that's the blind guy. What is he? He's blind. He's a beggar. He's the guy. Okay. So his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other. They said, hey, uh, isn't that so-and-so? Isn't that dude used to be on the corner always asking for money? Yo, isn't that the hype who used to buy from the dealer over there? Or isn't that so-and-so who was called Lil Trigger or some crazy gangbanging name? Lil Joker. There's always Lil something. Makes me think, who's the big, who's the big joker? Who's the big trigger? But they start asking each other questions and they say, hey, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Someone goes up to him and says, hey, no, that's not him. He just looks like him. I love that, right? These, there were some, there were some hood people in the old, you know, in the, in the Bible too. They said, no, that's not him. He just looks like him. Here, people are asking, and look at the response of the beggar, but the beggar tells them, he says, no, it's me. I am that guy. So they ask him, who healed you? Hey, what happened to you? How did your life change? Now look at the response, because here's where the learning comes in for us. Okay, because I'm sure you've had conversations, if you've been walking with, with Jesus for any amount of time, at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood, on the block, at the park, and you've reacted differently. People say, what happened to you? You know, how could you react this way? Uh, you know, your family member's sick, or, 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 man, you're going through a trial, but you have peace. You know, you might not have it all together, but you have a, a, a faith that you're standing on. And say, what is it different about you? And it's a great time to share your story. And listen what this man tells them. He says, the man they call Jesus, he made mud. He spread it over my eyes. He left out the spitting part, right? He said, he made mud. He spread it over my eyes and he told me, go to the pool in Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. This guy doesn't try to theologize it. He doesn't come up with a scientific explanation. He doesn't start arguing, you know, in the law, it said that when Messiah comes, he will do X, Y, and Z. This guy doesn't get into an argument. All he says is, hey, I was blind before I met him, and since I met him, now I could see. That's it. Simplicity, simplicity. Yeah, praise God for that. Now, the Pharisees were listening in on this, right? And they were not happy about it because they were always trying to go after Jesus and and one of the things was, is if you were part of, of the society who supported Jesus, they would call you in and they would investigate you. So sure enough, the council 
talk about this, right? This blind man would have never been invited to the council before. There was no way ever this blind beggar would be able to stand before the religious powerful elite and speak. But now because Jesus has changed his life, he gets invited into the council chamber to share his story before the most powerful of people. Man, the doors that God will open for you. The doors that he will open for you. Now this is the moment of truth. This needed to be probably one of the most awkward situations that this man could be put in. He was willing to tell his neighbors and his friends what happened. Those were his neighbors and his friends. But now would he have the courage to stand before the council, the powerful people, and say, this is what God has done in my life. Would he have the courage to say that? Let's jump to verse 24. So they call him in here for the second time. They called the man who was blind and they told him, as typical people in power who abuse their power, they try to intimidate him before he even has a chance to speak. And they tell him, now God should get glory for this. They're kind of, you know, trying to lead him, persuade him. Like when we ask you what happened, you better give our God the glory for this. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. This man probably felt uncomfortable. This man probably felt he didn't have what it takes. This man felt like, man, I'm going to be pushing a belief in a sinner on these people. And this man was probably thinking, there's no way God is going to use me right now. He was probably processing those four obstacles that we just spoke about. But look at what the man says, verse 25. He says, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. Come on. No theological arguments, no scientific explaining, no back and forth. He said, this was my life before Jesus. I was blind. Then I met this man, and he changed me. And all I know now is that I could see. It gives us a template of how to share your story. If you would turn over to the other side of these notes at the very top, your life in three parts. Your life in three parts. And, and your challenge this week is that you would go, and if you know Jesus, and if Jesus has done a work in your life that you would begin to ask him to construct your story and put it in a simple way where you could share with others, look, this was my life before Jesus. Man, I was struggling. I had no hope. I was broken. I was addicted. I was down and out. I had no meaning. I had no purpose. I had no life. Uh, I was blind. All of us have a story of what our life was like before Jesus. Start there. The second part of your story is how you met Jesus. Now this is an important part because how many of you know the destination is important, but the journey there is also important, right? It's not only the destination that matters that your life has been changed, it's more important to tell them how you got there. So hey, if it was somebody who invited you to church, if it was somebody who gave you a track, if it was somebody that invited you to a youth camp, how was it that you came to know Jesus? That is a very important part of your story. It demystifies for people how God works. This man said, I was blind, 
and I met this man named Jesus. That's it. Simple. He put mud in my eyes. He told me to go to the pool. I washed, and now I could see. And the last thing, your life after you met Jesus. Explain when you share your story how your life is different. This man shared, I was blind, but now I see. It was that simple. It was that easy. That was it. What is the change that God has brought to your life? Is it freedom? Freedom of being free from religion? Is it the forgiveness that he's brought into your life? Is it healing? Is it restoration? Is it the meaning and the purpose that your life now has? Is it the mission that you now live for? Is it his unconditional love that you now live in every single day? Is it the calling that now you have on your life to go and do the good things that he's ordained before your life? Is it the hope that he's filled you with? Is it the life that you now feel, the vibrancy, the fulfillment, the understanding, the wisdom, the direction? Is it eternity that is now planted in your heart? What is the change that God has done in your life? That's what you need to tell people. I was once blind, but now I could see. And it's because of Jesus. And it's okay, can I just say, don't sanitize your story. Don't clean it up. If it's messy, if it's complicated, if it's still unfinished, let people know God is still writing my story. But you know what? I know he is the author and the finisher of my faith. And his pen is on my book. Share your story. Stories matter. We are drawn to stories. It's how we connect with one another. And listen, if you're here and you're going through a particularly difficult time, the tendency could be that this is a time to pull away. That this could be a time to really lay low. Let me encourage you, brother and sister, that if you're in a particularly difficult time right now in your life, it is a time that maybe God wants to use you most to encourage somebody. Because you're living through and surviving through and persevering through and trusting God for something that someone else might be going through as well. And you might just be a half a step ahead of them. But that half step of encouragement that you could give today is perhaps what that person needs to see a breakthrough in their life. So don't shrink back. Trust God. Share your story. Your story matters. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope, because some of you here, that might be the only thing you have right now. You might be standing on nothing else but hope right now. But if someone asks you, what is it that you're standing on? Because your life is like you're underwater. If someone asks you, about your hope as a believer, what? Always be ready to explain it. I once was blind, but now I see. Can we stand together?